Welcome to Women in B2B Marketing, a show where CMOs, VPs of marketing, and all strong women leaders in B2B discuss their top tactics, strategies, and tips for building high-performing teams, leveraging trends, and ultimately rocking their marketing careers. Made by and for women, insightful for all. I'm your host and 15-year B2B marketer, Jane Sarah. Let's dive in. Well, hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us today on Women in B2B Marketing. And today I have with us Caitlin Cassidy, VP of Marketing at Beyond. So excited to have her. And she is going to tell us all about her story from comms and and branding to VP and talk all things from PR, comms, content community, and her journey overall and getting into revenue and the numbers side of things. So welcome. Thank you for joining us, Caitlin. Thanks for having me, Jane. I'm super excited to be here today. Let's see. Let's dive in. I was doing a little LinkedIn snooping and checking out your background. And I think if I have this right, because sometimes LinkedIn can be a little off on real life, uh, different details of how people get started. But I think I saw that you started out in reporting. Is that right? Yeah, I would say the one, the like consistent thread in my career journey has been a love of stories. So I started out in journalism, very aspirational 22. I was convinced I was going to be the next Pulitzer winner. Um, I had the incredible- Still could be. Still could be. There's time. Absolutely. Yeah. I had the impeccable timing to start my journalism career right as the economy was crashing in like the late 2008, 2009 period. And so I pivoted to tech PR because I was living in the Bay Area at the time. They were hiring. It was something where I was like, great, still stories. And I fell in love with tech. There's always something new. There's something exciting. Like I love trying to figure out like the intersection of like those technologies that were maybe going to work, make the world a better place versus those that were just fun to play around with. But what I realized is like, there's was this whole different type of story that I could tell when I was working within a business as opposed to reporting on someone. So I started out at a PR agency, made my way to do in-house communications and being the ambitious human that I was, I kept seeing other things that I thought I could do well. So at one point, a company I was at lost a content marketer and I was like, oh, I can help there for a while. Fell in love with the idea that you could actually tie business revenue to content marketing in a way I couldn't do with communications. Yes. And so that really spurred me to go down the path of corporate marketing, communications, AR, branding, playing around in that space. And I just had the incredible, like, I don't know, incredible journey of like working with some awesome leaders that like helped me realize like, there's always like the, there was the story, but there was the data that underlied the story and like, how could I work within that? And so that's, I still feel like that's like the biggest part of my journey is like, I look for the story, but then you look for like how the data supports that and how you use that to like build the company. Yeah. And see what's actually working and resonating. So you can do more storytelling on that side of things. Exactly. Because like the story relates to everything. The story relates to like how you as a business are rallying around a new product. It relates to how different customer profiles or personas are like, if that story is resonating with one, not another, like you realize like maybe you need to do some more work there, but like how that story lands is actually integral to a lot of marketing. And I don't know, I think that maybe at some point we as marketers were tired of being labeled the arts and crafts department. And so like yes. so much more data, which is critical to marketing in today's world. But at the end of the day, we're all still human beings and stories are what capture our attention. So so true. And yeah, how many times have we all heard as marketers, oh, you're going to make this look pretty. I still hear that. 
I still hear that. And I always respond very coldly and bluntly <laughs> to that <laughs> ask. <laughs> like, no, that is not at all what we do. But yes, we will get this done. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely like, it depends on who it is for me. Because sometimes it's an education thing where I'm like, yeah, by making it pretty, you mean like give it supporting stats and a customer story and then also work with the design team. Yes, I will be doing all of that where I'm like, exactly. Also, to be clear, like, I'm not the one who's actually ever going to make something pretty visually. Canva is my favorite because at least I can get someone there. But like, I'll just lay down and cry if someone asks me to like, (laughs) operate design. (laughs) Exactly. Like, we must get confused for the design team so much. (laughs) Or the the poor design team is probably never getting credit. And I'm sure they hate hearing make this pretty also. Yeah. (laughs) I think that's part of like... I don't know any marketing team that doesn't have like a bit of a problem marketing themselves. I think we get so excited yes. about doing external marketing and there's always the next project or campaign to roll out. And we forgot to take the time to celebrate like what we did and educate people on like why we did it and how we did it. And I've been doing yes. this for like 15 years now and every yes. marketing comms team I've been on has that problem. And so it's something like I want to actively work on in this role at Beyond is like, how do I make sure people understand at a better level, like what does my team do? How are we helping move the business forward? And like, that's on me to like help move that, to like push that further. I love that because, so when you were saying that, it made me think of two things. Number one, it's not just me because <laughs> I'm horrible <laughs> at marketing myself. I'm horrible at talking about myself. You and I both talked about this, but I, I also have that problem as a team, a team leader, right? Is making sure that my team is getting credit for things, but beyond the credit point, it's showcasing to the greater team at the company all that marketing is doing and the impact that we're having and showing those numbers. I know I fall into just kind of focusing on my team, kind of insular and us moving things forward and getting projects done and forget to then share that. I kind of assume that everyone knows what we're doing and sees that, but that's never the case. So it's such a good reminder. Yeah. I heard this in a different context, but I feel like it applies so well to like B2B marketing in particular is that revenue is a team sport. Like revenue is everything we're all doing together And I've always looked at it as like sales and CX are my customers, my internal customers from a marketing perspective. But I think the more like we can educate marketers on like that mentality, it just helps us be more confident to go in the conversations and be like, yes, like this is super exciting how we've all driven these leads into sales, but not just that. It's more about like, how have we helped move the business forward because of the campaigns we've worked on with our sales teams or like if retention is a big focus for you, like thinking about like, how do you structure that with your CX org and make sure that everybody really feels bought into it? Because that's one thing that like, I heard from a past boss where she's like, everyone knows marketing is important, but the reason there's so much data and metrics out there is no one understands how it's actually happening. And so I think mm. that's, that was a big key, like aha moment for me is like, how can yeah. I better educate my counterparts on like what we're doing and why so that it becomes more of that like team sport mentality around revenue. I love that. So how do you determine what is enough to share and not an overshare? Because I've seen that happen too, right? Where sometimes people just give every little detail and you see the people they're reporting to kind of glazing over that it's too much. So how do you find that balance of bringing attention, marketing your marketing team to the right extent? Yeah, I guess I will start with saying I still feel like it's an evolving challenge for me. I don't think I totally nailed it. I think for me it was 
getting in the mindset of who am I talking to? So the way I report on like what marketing is doing and driving an executive level is very different than if I'm working with like our head of demand gen and like coaching him or working with him on like, how are we talking to our BDR leads about like what campaigns are coming, how to use them, what's coming next. Like at that point, I think you can have a more granular like discussion of like, here's what we saw with the last campaign. Here's what we hope for this one here's how we can roll it out. And it's like a bit more specific in terms of like the why and the context behind it. Whereas when you're rolling up to like a monthly report on like what marketing drove, it is more about like, here's the pipe we drove, here's the channels, here's what worked and why, and then here's what didn't work and what we're doing about it next. So I've been trying to think about that of kind of, because it goes back to my storytelling answer is like, it's about the audience and like, yeah. Find that baseline of like how much detail helps them versus how much detail makes their eyes glaze over and they've stopped listening. Exactly. Cool. I love that storytelling and really just marketing your own marketing efforts internally. Yeah. So important. And I feel like it just always gets last priority because there's so much that has to get done to actually hit your goals that it kind of comes last to think about sharing that with others internally. Yeah. It's something that I think yeah, again, like I think marketers are bad at, and I don't know if it's just the type of person that goes into marketing that we're bad at, but I've been talking lately with my team and like, we're trying it over like this current quarter and we're going to try and continue rolling it into like the rest of the like spring and summer too, is like once a week, what's a big win that we want to share in like our public Slack channels where we're like, whether it's like a campaign that worked better than we thought, or like some foundational thing we fixed to make the lead process better. But like, what's the one win a week we're going to share as a team. And I think that then helps everybody feel like they're part of it too, where it's not, we're not just reporting on how much pipe we drove every week because people can feel disconnected from that. It's something that is different and it helps people kind of like be like, oh, that's cool. Like maybe the last time we shared something about content, someone like actually asked a question about like, hey, how did you decide on this topic? And I was like, yes, that's what I'm looking for is like questions mean people are paying attention. Yeah, that's such a good perspective because and don't they always say too, if you show people the results of what they're working on, they just get more invested. So obviously we do that with our teams themselves. But I know in past companies where I needed to, like when you have small teams, you kind of have to pick the brains of other people and the greater team at the company and have them contribute to the blog or contribute in on speaking on a webinar or things like that. But then when you show them the results, like because you spoke on this webinar, we had five appointments set with sales. We had 500 new MQLs come in. So like, then they get super proud and want to do it again. So yeah. it's kind of the same thing, like showing people why, A, be proud of your marketing team and B, maybe you can get involved somehow. Yeah, I love that. It's a little bit of like when we were like in like junior high, high school, and it's like, show your work. It's like, we show the work of like what went into it, but also show the like piece of it too. It's like, how do we balance? Yeah. Like the math problem working out, which I hear is crazy now and totally different than how we did math when we were in school. So I'm scared to revisit that with my son one day, but Well, Caitlin, tell me a little bit about Beyond, because this is an interesting audience. And do you consider it, is it B2B right now? Or is it kind of a combination? Because it could be small businesses or individuals, right? So B2B or B2C. Yeah. So it's funny you ask that, because I actually was like discussing that with some of my team members 
literally last week. I would still say it's B2B. So for those who are not familiar, um, Beyond is revenue management software for the vacation rental industry. So we have two kind of distinct audiences, property managers who manage like larger businesses where they like manage own different owners, vacation homes. And so those are like very much B2B. These people can totally. be managed anywhere from like 25 to thousands of listings. Wow. Multiple revenue managers working with them that utilize our software. And then on the other side of it, we do have hosts. So people who own one or two vacation rentals, maybe their family rentals that they're still renting out. Maybe this is like a side hustle. Maybe it's a retirement stream of retirement income. But even though those folks, maybe that isn't their day-to-day job, it is still a business. They're bringing in revenue. So we do still consider ourselves B2B because we really are working like our our vision and our mission as a company is to help those folks, whether it's property manager business or like your own individual listings, like our goal is to help you unlock new ways to make money with those vacation rentals. So at the end of the day, it's still a business model. It is just a very broad range of audiences. We have like extreme SMB businesses all the way up to like enterprise organizations. Yeah. Well, so many questions to unpack from that one is, so it's kind of like your marketing to solopreneurs, totally still B2B all the way up to like huge enterprises. That's fascinating. So how do you market to so many (laughs) different ICPs? We have like very distinct swim lanes for some of our content. It's something nice. that like we've been really working on trying to improve as well, because you mentioned like small teams often, like we won't have enough, we can't create net new content for every single audience, every yeah. single day. And so what we've been looking at doing is like, how do we take a broader marketing campaign concept and then break out parts that make sense for our host audience versus our contracted audience? Sometimes there's overlaps and we can use like 50% of the program in both places. And then we have to do individual pieces as well for them. Yeah. But it does make campaign planning very specific. And we actually like, we're coming towards Q2 right now. Like we were just in Q2 planning and we really took a deep look at like, do we have enough programming and activities for both audiences that yeah. will help us hit? Cause we do also have like different revenue goals for both of those audiences, just based on how they purchase our software. So it does add a bit of complexity into it, but The key thing for us is realizing that like there are some base challenges that both audiences have. So as long as we start there and then build up to make it more like personalized based on who the audience member is specifically, we found some ways to scale. I think we can still find some more, but we're definitely moving in the right direction there. And it must be, I wonder how granular you get with reporting to to the, on these different audiences, right? Because different channels probably work to get in front of each of these audiences, at least two different major segments. And there's probably a third in between, or maybe there's way more than three. Absolutely. Yeah. We do have different reporting metrics because with our contracted side of the business, that's where it would be more of like a traditional B2B model where we have sales teams, we have dedicated cost managers for these folks, as well as all of the like in-app activities and product notifications and new product features. On the host side, it is much more of like a product-led growth type of mentality where like we have an emerging commercial team who does like help us make sure we're connecting with those folks. But it is a lot of more of like the marketing journey, in-app notifications. So on that side, it is a lot of like marketing and product and this like growing commercial sales team that we've stood up that's focusing So we do have different business metrics for both um, sides. So we do look at different reporting and that's something for me is trying to figure out how do I make sure 
some of our marketers are more focused on one audience or the other, but we never want to build silos. And so it's making sure how do we all feel comfortable that like we still have one ultimate like revenue goal or metric as a marketing team that we're going after, but we're probably all contributing in slightly different ways to help us hit that. Yeah. Have you, listening to other marketing podcasts and and chatting with a few, I've seen teams split up, obviously, in so many different ways, right? The org structure is so different from company to company. Because you have two different core revenue streams, do you or ICPs, do you split your actual team up to work on each of these? Or do you have, let's say your content team is focused on both, or do you have dedicated roles for the different streams? Yeah, I would say we have different dedicated roles on some of the process streams because like for our host audience, we do, it's very life cycle heavy. And so we do have like a head of life cycle marketing. That's like, cool. I would say a lot of his time is focused on that audience. And then in the same, in the contracted side, like our head of demand, Jen, who's like really layering in, like, how are all we promoting different campaigns and different regions for a contracted audience? So I would say that's where there is probably the two that are the most specific to audience That said, we really want to make sure that there's collaboration because a lot of times like folks may start out as a host, but start to move in the direction contracted as like they grow their business. And so that's been my goal is like, it was pretty siloed before and everyone agreed that wasn't working, but they kind of, it just, they couldn't quite figure out like what to do about it. And so like, we've actively been looking at like our content creators create for both audiences. We just are very clear before we start something is like, who is this intended for? And some things like that. So there are some nuances within it, but we're trying to make sure that there is still enough overlap that we're learning from both teams too, because there was an instance of like some certain types of emails working really well in our host segment. And we all kind of took a step back and we were like, what learning should we take from this on the contracted side of the business too? Instead of just being like, yay, congrats, we did it. It's like, there's probably just some nuances that we were missing on the contracted side that we could learn here and take it across. And so that's the intention of having just one global marketing team as opposed to splitting it of like host marketing team and contracted marketing team. Through more communication between the two. I love that you take the time to pause and analyze and apply learnings, like extract what the learning is from winning campaigns. You probably do the same for campaigns that don't go as planned or perform as well as you expect. And then you take those learnings and you can apply it across the board. Yeah. And it's thing. And that's one where I will say is that like, I want to do more of it. I think we've got like a good start, but I mean, when I say like pause, sometimes that's even just like 10 minutes in our weekly. Yeah. Be like, what works? But that's great. Yeah. yeah. But I think that's, again, for me is like from a leadership perspective, that's my job is to help keep kind of reinforcing those good habits and reminding myself of why we should be taking those pauses to yeah. figure out. Cause I think in any business right now, it's so hard not to just feel like you're at like a dead sprint at all given times when in fact, yeah. like growing a business and like growing a healthy business, especially in software today is it's a marathon. And so there's going to be points when maybe we're sprinting, but like we have to take those pauses and assess what's working and what's not, because otherwise we're just going to keep throwing more shit at the wall and hoping something yeah. sticks as opposed to actually being like conscious and having a strategy about like this worked. That's why we're doing more of it. So Yes. Well, speaking of what worked and what you do more of across your different pipelines and these two big ICPs, what's working? What do you see working right now? Like some people are saying you hear email is dead and then you talk to another person and email is working super well for them. So for you and what you're seeing, what channels are working or what kind of campaigns or storytelling, what's top of mind? 
Yeah, it's such a great question. And I think for me, so like I've been at Beyond for six months now and it's a new vertical industry for me. I spent the last like close to decade in marketing technology. And so I came in with a very fresh, like I don't know enough to make blanket statements about like what is and isn't working. And so because of that, like we've done just a ton of testing the last couple months to figure things out. So I will say what is working is like, integrated campaigns. Like what we've seen work really well is like launching some sort of like lead magnet, like a content download and following it up with a webinar on the same topic and having like blog posts that feed into it. So for us, it's been a lot of realizing like the vacation rental industry has like, it's basically one of the last parts of like the technology industry as a whole to get more sophisticated software. I think a lot of people left behind because some are more small business owners as opposed to like hotels and airlines who've had like a ton of revenue management software for years. And so what we've realized is like, there is a lot of education that we need to show people of like why this works, why automating some of these activities is really beneficial for them and shouldn't be a scary thing. And so, and to top it all off, like we don't know what the economy looks like today, but being in like the travel and real, the intersection of travel and real estate, like people are scared right now. Like people are concerned their profits, about their bottom line, about their customers. And so for us, it's just realizing is like, we need to keep up a steady drumbeat of value. Like, so that's been the big thing that is working is like, there's not one like silver bullet channel that I'm dumping all of our resources into. It's really looking at like, how can we personalize these stories, get them in front of people at multiple points in their journey? And how are, and the other big thing that's working for us is, which is not, The channel of sorts, I guess I'll call it, is like getting feedback from our CX and sales teams. Like they are Mm -hmm. chatting with these people day in and day out. And they're the ones that are helping us understand like, oh, there's this huge area that like we should be doubled down on more. Like at the beginning of the year, all of a sudden we were hearing a lot more around like owner communications and owner relationships. Mm -hmm. I was realizing we were like, we actually have a ton of material on this. But it had been kind of like spread out, dropped in the blog here, dropped in a one pager here. And so what we did was actually collect all of it, put kind of like a new oversight point of view, whatever you want to call it in front of it. And we ran a campaign to just like help our customer base understand like, hey, here's some ideas about like what you could be talking about, how you could use data from our system to like improve those relationships. And it went great, but it's like we needed the CX team to be helping us understand, oh, this is a good topic for us to start testing out. And so I'd say is like, that's probably our most successful channel right now is building up those feedback loops and then using all of the like tactical channels to just experiment on like what's landing well, what's the cadence with which we should be rolling some of these out, like new topics versus just like a continued iteration on like a current topic. Yes. You're making me think I need to schedule another CX brainstorming call because (laughs) every time my team meets with any group from the CS team, it's just gold after gold after gold. Like we record every time because we want to go back and be like, okay, well, this was a case study opportunity right here. And then these topics are coming up. We have content that we don't have content on this. So we need to create, it just helps us prioritize and reframe. So that it's so true. It's such a critical piece. And like, I think it's easy to just get caught up in like, oh, well, we just need like one more blog here. Like, sure, let's just get another case study. But when you actually go sit and chat with people, like, yeah, like our CSMs are on the front line every day. They're the ones hearing about the challenges. They're hearing some of the frustrations. And that is like, we want to create 
value. We want to create like more outcome-based campaigns for us specifically. And so that's how we figure out which outcomes are going to drive, like going to resonate the most with our audience. Yeah. And it just creates that feedback loop. I had a boss who talked about this a lot in the past where it's the idea, like the more you learn from your CX team as marketers, the better your marketing gets, which improves the velocity of sales. And it also then makes the CS job easier. So it's like this like beautiful cycle of like, if you're all listening and learning from one another in that feedback loop, your marketing continues to improve. Sales gets faster. CX has more realistic expectations with these customers because they learned everything in their like journey to purchase. Um, yeah. And really just create a more healthy, holistic company if you're all working together in that kind of feedback cycle. So true. It creates yeah. a flywheel, right? It of does. just constant improvement across the board and helping everyone. I wish I could remember what she called it. She had a great name for it that I'm going to remember once we stop. Right. <laughs> if you remember it after, just ping me and I'll put it in show notes because that Excellent. would be great. And that. who this was too, if you if you remember, yeah, I can link out. Jocelyn Brown. I worked with her when I was at a company called Alicadia. She's based in Toronto. She's a delight, but she's like CX sales CRO leader that I worked with there. And she had such a good grasp of like how all of the go-to-market teams could and should work together. I love that. Yeah. If you think of the term, let me know because I'm all for this. And it, it, it goes back to what we said before too, right? If people know they see the impact they're having, they feel more invested. So it also probably helps with morale of the company. Because you're taking, you care about the CS team. They can do more than um, work with clients, which is already huge and valuable. But then they're also contributing to marketing and which is helping sales. And it just keeps that flywheel going. Yeah, exactly. So cool. Well, you also touched on, I want to go deeper into this, that you had come from the MarTech side of the world for like 10 plus years. And then you came into this vertical, the kind of tourism and vacationing, et cetera. How has this pivot been? And tell me about your journey. And I mean, I imagine, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but imposter syndrome was probably a thing at first. And you've obviously overcome that with your recent promotion to VP marketing. So congrats on that side. But yeah, walk us through. How was that journey? Yeah, honestly, it was fucking terrifying to start. I'll yeah. be so about that. Yeah, I'd been in MarTech for so long that I knew who the analysts were. I knew what the ecosystem looked like. I understood some of the nuances of like how partnerships should look. I could talk about like the challenges of a marketing ops purchaser with my eyes closed. And, but when I was looking like last summer, I was at a company that got acquired. And so I was, had to start finding a new job. And I really took a step back and realized that like, while I could do all of that in my sleep, because of that, I just wasn't feeling very creative anymore, to be honest. Like it felt like I had like hit a tipping point in marketing technology that maybe I wasn't pushing myself anymore. I was just kind of relying on like what I knew and what I'd done in the past. And I started chatting with the team at Beyond and it came in through actually the Women in Revenue Network. And so like I started conversations there and realized like there was a lot of application. Like it's still revenue management software is still about like creating efficiencies, about like finding ways to like get new levels of profitability, drive more revenue. And so like all of that tech side actually still made sense, but it was just like an entirely new ecosystem for me. So I dove in, started trying to learn as much as I could, had massive imposter syndrome that I did not understand some of the nuances. 
and felt like very uncomfortable, honestly, for the first couple of months that I was leading a team and telling them how to get processes in place and starting to try and roll out these integrated campaigns. And in the background, like people would be talking about stuff on meetings and I'd be like frantically Googling on the side, like what that acronym meant because I didn't know. Yeah. I will say like, I was very lucky that Beyond is like a pretty horizontal org and like curiosity and like asking is encouraged. And so I did just ask shitload of questions of people over and over and started to get there. But yeah, it was a challenge, but I'm so glad I took it because now I'm actually feeling like so inspired of like, what does this new vertical mean for me? Like, how can I make an impact here? How can I learn more? And recognizing that like stories translate across industries, like that love of storytelling that I have and that natural curiosity for like, how can I drive someone to like take an action because of like a story we're putting out into the world that still applies. You just need like different inputs for it. So I think there was a level of humility of like recognizing like I'm no longer the expert on the industry. And I still am uncomfortable with that because I'm <laughs> uncomfortable when I don't know everything. And that's a yeah. new problem. I'm working on it. <laughs> yeah, it's been this incredible journey. And I will say as the other part of you kind of called out like the imposter sim- syndrome side is how often do you hear about marketing leaders that come from like the comms brand side of the world? It's pretty rare. Like It's most of the time product marketers or demand gen marketers that make that leap into the VP role. And I was scared that my brain thinks in stories first and data second. It doesn't mean I don't page into data, but like my natural instinct is story first. And I was terrified that I wasn't going to be able to hack it. But a couple months in, I realized like I was having all these great conversations about like, here's what the data shows us and here's where the story should go. And I realized I was like, just because I wasn't the one leading demand gen conversations for the past, let's call it 15 years, I was actively involved in them as like a head of corporate marketing or like a comms leader. And I know it and I believe in it. Like I understand the flow of like, how's that top of funnel story going to feed down to a better sales outcome. And I also have a great boss who told me point blank, she was like, we have a lot of data-driven people here. I think it's actually like great for us to have a storyteller in the mix and remind ourselves that like capturing someone's attention should still be the ultimate goal. We just need to make sure we're doing it in the right way with the right data. So I still don't feel like I 100% know what I'm doing, but I feel a lot more confident that like even the guesses I'm making are probably pretty well-educated guesses at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I do think it matters like stories... I'm going to sound like a broken record on this podcast, but like stories are still how we all connect with one another. There's all the data out there that like people remember more facts if it's told in story form. And so I'm that as like what I'm bringing to the table. So, yes. Well, two things. One is that I feel like you're even more numbers focused than you even think you are just from talking to you for the past 30, 40, whatever minutes is you've mentioned data and reporting them with stats. You're looking at the performance of several times. So you're totally more data driven than you even give yourself credit for. But second, how do you feel like, I feel like right now there's like this resurgence or maybe it's an initial surgence of the creator economy. Right. And everybody, of course, there's always been in kind of B2C world with TikTok and and whatnot. But now you're seeing that so much more with B2B, like influencers. There are people on LinkedIn with like 50K plus followers and creating content posting every day and kind of just even being on TikTok and creating stories and reels. But for B2B, this storytelling is just obviously becoming super important and relevant and people are giving it its due. Do you see that too? 
I do. And I love it. <laughs> I think that, <laughs> yeah, selfishly, but also from a business perspective, I think there was this mentality for a really long time that like, if you sold B2B, you didn't have to try and capture someone's eyes. Like it was like, yeah. well, it's a business boring, boring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you could get away with like just some product stats and maybe a catchy headline and you were good. And I mean, let's be real. Like big companies still had that. And there's always been creative campaigns that came out of even like the most like typical IT, like kind of buttoned up companies like Intel or Dell, like they still had like creative ad campaigns, but I think there was this recognition and maybe it started in the midst of COVID when we were all locked at home anyways, like there was this real blurring of like, are you looking at business content? Or are you looking at personal content? Yes living and breathing through screens. But I do think it helped accelerate what was probably already happening out there is like, even if you're selling a business deal, you are talking to a human. That human is a consumer in some way, shape or form. And you have to talk to them like a human. You have to convince them that this is going to make their life better in a professional sense, maybe just not in a personal sense. But I think that that line has been blurring pretty steadily for probably the past five to 10 years, but it's really accelerated now where I think we should be more critical of B2B content. Like there's a lot of lazy content out there. And honestly, I'm not proud to admit it, but I've put some out in the world too. When you're just trying to check a box and get a campaign out, you kind of have to ask it and hope for the best. But I think that having this creator economy on the B2B side is just making us all better. Think about our audiences. What do they actually want? What challenges are they dealing with? What outcomes do they need that maybe they don't even know about yet? And I think the more we all approach that on the B2B side with a bit of like a human touch, the better positioned we are to help our businesses grow because it's going to resonate with people. Like, yeah, hear a story that's about someone like you, or you see an ad that's exactly the the challenge that you were just like typing into Google to try and figure out like that hits home. It captures your attention in a way that just like a standard, like 15% revenue lift. Well, like that could mean anything. Tell me more. Like, what are you actually going to do for me as a business person? So yeah, you have to hit them on the individual, the human side. It's because yeah. you, you just, I mean, guilty as well on putting out typical boring B2B stuff sometimes. Sometimes you just, you have to get it out and you don't have the time, but like it happens. <laughs> yeah. It, it, as long as it's, it's once in a blue and not the regular, you're good. <laughs> but I, I've also heard that people are using a lot of this like organic social creator economy side of creator economy to test out things to then build out, decide what should be actually a campaign that's built out and has ad dollars behind it. Do you see that as something in the works too? Yeah, we absolutely have been trying to test in on that. We've been looking at affiliates on social media to just try and figure out like which of our affiliates content is driving more engagement and Mm. kind of like reverse engineers, like how can we work with those people to do more of that and like bring them along? And like, I think affiliates and influencers, it all just provides that third party credibility, authenticity, validation, whatever you want to call it, that can help your campaign and your brand go further. The other thing that we've been doing, we just started testing it is figuring out with like content on Facebook, like Facebook is the queen of doing A-B testing and figuring out what will drive more traffic. Like they, their algorithm was built to try and figure out what people want more of. And so we've started testing some things to identify which blog titles or content pieces get the most attention there. And we do like very short bursts of tests and then do organic pushes for it so that everything's not going through a paid channel, but you can use that to do those like quick and dirty tests to experiment with like, is this topic or this topic going to like hit home this month for people? 
like, let's figure out which one and then go all in on our organic channels. So kind of reverse too. That's interesting. So putting a small paid budget on Facebook to get in front of the right eyes and seeing which resonates more and putting a ton behind organic on that side. Yeah. I love that. The reverse side. Cool. Yeah. We've been testing both. And I think for us right now, like we're really, we're trying to figure out how to put just how to like keep our inbound engine going because we have these disparate audiences. Like we have to collect everything all the time. And so like inbound is the way for us to make sure that at the very least, like people are aware of us so that when they tip into that, like ready to purchase point in their journey, we are top of mind for them. And so that's one of the things we've been testing on our inbound is like, how can we just get smarter about what we're putting out there and how it's capturing people's attention, knowing that like, we don't have the budget to go after everyone all the time right now on a paid side. And so we have to get more creative with like, how we're using the technologies we have in place and the people we have in place and the experience to drive more engagement. Yeah. How do you work knowing all of this that we just talked through, what do you see changing in our world in B2B marketing over the next five-ish years? Yeah. Mm. I do think that it will continue to get more and more personalized, but not not personalized the way we were all talking about it. Like when ABM was like emerging on the scene where it was like, everything's going to be one-to-one marketing. Like, I don't think we need to do that all the time, but I do think we'll like continue to hone in on like better segmentation in B2B knowing that like, even if you have a, with our audience, like different property managers are very different. Like they have different profiles of like how risk averse they are, how big their portfolio is. And so I think like in B2B, we will continue to find ways to make those segments more granular so that we can do very targeted types of marketing that maybe still isn't true ABM, but it's just like more like trying to hit on exactly like the personal points, pain points those people have. Yeah. I think the other two is kind of a combination of getting more automation into the content creation process. Like we are testing out, we're using Jasper AI a lot on our side right now. And like coming from like the content background myself and working with our content marketers, we were all like, okay, we're skeptical because like totally right the way we can. But what's actually been really cool to see is like, it's like getting someone to write a first draft for you. And then you go back and edit it and make it clear and resonate and add the right value points in. But we've been able to like scale up our content creation pretty significantly because we're using AI to build like 70% of the content and then adding in all the other details that a machine is never going to get to. But instead of being scared by it, we all were able to kind of like jump past that hurdle and be like, oh shit, this is cool. We can do a lot more now because it's doing the basic stuff that like no writer really was enjoying any way of like, here's the outline. Here's what it is. Like, Like our content marketers have figured out, it's like, okay, how do I make sure I'm giving the right parameters for it? And it gives like 70% of a blog post that then I can take and expand into something different or like target to different audiences. And so it's really just like using their strong content marketing capabilities for that final piece to make it great, as opposed to like spending all this effort to like get it halfway there and then they get pulled into a different project. So yes, it gets more of their work out the door. Exactly. Coming from you, it's probably (laughs) so great because you there's more respect there, right? Because you are a content creator. You come yeah. from this world. So when you're telling your team, let's try Jasper, it's not taken the same way as if somebody who's not a storyteller and doesn't come from the content world would, like a CEO, 
being like, let's just use Jasper and, and spit out more content coming yeah. from you. It just means so much more because it they know you know their work that goes into it. Yeah, I think that that was part of it. And like me admitting to where like when it first came on the scene, I was like, never, no way. Yeah. <laughs> so opposed to it. And I'm happy to admit that I was wrong and that like I did change my perspective on it because I realized like in the same way we talk about automation in like every single type of technology that's out there in the SaaS world. Yeah. This is a way to automate the pieces of our job that were like boring or took too much time. And now we're using our time to focus on the parts that will make this content great. And so that was a big mental shift for me. It took me longer than I'm proud of, but like I got there. It's great that you owned it though, right? (laughs) And you changed your mind. So I like to ask guests what their favorite tech tools are right now. So MarTech, kind of a spotlight. Is Jasper your tool of the moment? I think, yeah, Jasper is probably like the marketing specific tool of the moment for me. I'm super excited about the possibilities of it. No matter what, like the tool that I probably can't live without is Asana because project management, especially when you have a diverse remote workforce, like our marketing team spans like me on the West coast to marketers in Barcelona. We need a tool to actually stitch everything together and to make sure we can see like are the campaigns we're running overlapping? Are we hitting the right audiences? Also like organization is my love language. So like Asana really like fulfills all those things for me. Wow. So a creative and also type A, that's also a rare, rare combo. Really, really (laughs) great combo. (laughs) I don't know. It's working. (laughs) (laughs) That's perfect. Oh, this is awesome. I want to, let's see, respect your time. Let's see if you can use stay for one more question. All right. If what is the one thing you would tell your younger marketing self just getting it? Well, actually, just getting into PR or switching from PR into uh, more corporate marketing, the tech world, what would you tell yourself? Such a good question. I think I would tell myself that like it's okay to not know everything and it's okay to be afraid. I think younger, <laughs> younger Caitlin for sure, but I think a lot of us, like when you start out in a new role and especially when like marketing, where like, Again, everyone knows it's important, but like can't articulate to you why sometimes. Yeah. I think it's important to just know like all of that uncomfortableness of like not knowing things is actually growth. And I think having a growth mindset in marketing is the way you succeed in marketing because things are constantly shifting, whether that's how your audience is operating, whether that's what the economy is doing to your business, like you have to be flexible. And so I think that's what I would tell my younger self is like, don't freak out because you don't know everything. Don't freak out and just be scared and try and pull back, like lean into that, like being uncomfortable moment because that's what's going to get you further. It's how you're going to learn is if you admit you don't know and keep moving forward and like the right kinds of companies and the right kinds of bosses and mentors will help you along that journey. That's probably how you know you're at the wrong business is if you're afraid to admit you don't know. Yes. I think I've heard the quote, comfort is the enemy of growth. It's just exactly, I love what you're saying. Like, I think I recently came across a book that was all about making the benefits of discomfort, right? And why you need to embrace that and add discomfort into your daily life. Even Mm -hmm. if it's like, talking to a stranger. I think that maybe it was Jay Shetty. I don't remember it. I'll look it up and I'll put it in the the show notes. But something like if you're out riding a subway, which Mm -hmm. people are getting back to now, right? And then usually you headphones in, face down in a book, just kind of in your own world. But the discomfort of talk, the challenging yourself to talk to somebody on the the subway car with you, just little daily things to help yourself grow. 
I love the idea of little daily things. I read a book a while ago. It's called Imagine It Forward. It's written by the former CMO of GE, and it was her journey to becoming the CMO. But she wrote a lot about like being comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I was at a pivotal point in like my personal life and career where I was like, I hate everything about this, but I think she's right. And it was like, I had to like start forcing myself to like, just live in that. Like, we don't know yet. It's uncertain. You can't have like a set six, 12 month plan. You can have some big rocks and then you're going to have to evolve and shift and change. And I hated every minute of it until all of a sudden one day I realized I was coaching my team on how to do it. And I was like, oh, <laughs> really internalized this enough, but I'm now leaning into this that like, yeah, both is uncomfortable, but that is how you move to the next place. And so like getting comfortable with being uncomfortable was like a really yeah. big thing for me to, to hate at first and then come to accept right? it. Same, same. That's such an important lesson, I think, for everybody. Even me starting this podcast, right? I was like, oh, everyone's going to hate it. Why? No one's going to listen to it. But I've loved it. And I'm so glad I embraced the discomfort of putting myself out there and hearing it. I love that you're sharing it with your team, because when you hear that message from your boss, it kind of relieves some pressure, right? It's like, you don't have to be perfect all the time. It's okay to try new things. You don't have to know exactly how to do this before you test it out. We want you to be uncomfortable in a great way. Yeah. I think like acknowledging that you don't know everything is so critical. And maybe I got better at it too once I become a parent and realized like I really don't know what I'm doing a lot of the time. But it's any of us. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I do think it's so important for for your team camaraderie to like all collectively agree that like, we don't know everything. We're trying our hardest and we're learning with every mistake. Like that's helping us improve in the future. I think that's such a huge boost for like, not just the marketing teams that I'm running, but like the business as a whole to be able to accept that. I think it all helps you understand like we're all intentionally doing our best, but no one is perfect. And like, we're going to screw things up, but as long as we try and make them better, that's what counts. So learn from it. You have to mess up in order to to grow. It's so true. Yeah. Well, thank you. Is there any other book or podcast that you want to recommend that you're listening to or reading right now? I have a couple here that I'll definitely put in the show notes that you've mentioned. So thank you. I would say the other one that I actually just reread that I think is such a critical one is Play Bigger. It's all about category creation. But I think for me, what it was also about is just a reminder of like, you can try and just build something that's like a slightly better version of a solution that people are using today, or you can actually think about how do you do it differently? And I think like the the best companies, the ones we all think about when we think about like, which company do we want to aspire to be to are the ones that took a stake in the ground and said like, you should do it differently. You should not just like try and incrementally always make it better. Sometimes that's the answer, but there's a big moment of like innovation comes from thinking differently and doing things differently. Yeah. I was quoting it because I just reread it actually. I was just trying to get some inspiration personally on a few things, but there was a quote in there from Henry Ford. And he was like, if I'd asked customers what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. And instead he came yes. out Model T. And I think that's such a iconic idea to remember that like we wouldn't have had cars if he had listened to his customers. And so sometimes, yes, we need to listen to what our customers pain points are, but we shouldn't necessarily always just take them verbatim. We should think about like how else we could do things differently and to do something different, not just like incrementally get better. Yes. You have to, I mean, take a chance, right? On some things and some campaigns and test it out. So true. It's because you do hear all the time, give what your customers want. 
But there's an asterisk after that. It's like sometimes you actually do need to share what you know they need <laughs> that they just don't know yet. Right. So and I think it's like, how do you guide them on that path to get them to realize like, hey, this is a better option to think differently, to not just like incrementally try and do one or two things. Good words to end on. Thank you, Caitlin. Thank you so much for joining me today. I have a million notes. I'll put them all on the show notes to share with everybody. But thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. This was super fun. Yeah. And thank you everybody for listening. Remember to like, rate, share with a friend. It all helps our our little podcast grow. So thanks everybody for tuning in. See you next time. Bye.